We've been going through the book of Philippians mostly on Sunday mornings, and today we're going to look at this passage where Paul uh, speaks about his desire to know him, that I may know him. That's kind of our theme this morning. Philippians chapter 3, we'll read verses 7 to 10. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 10. Paul says here, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul's talking about two types of knowledge of Christ here. Saving knowledge, and then he's talking about more of a personal knowledge that goes deeper than just saving knowledge. And that's what we're going to look at today, primarily that second one. Uh, look at that, those first five words of verse 10. Notice that, that I may know him. Paul could have known and probably did know a lot of different people. It was said that he was... Uh, I mean, he had an incredible education, an incredible upbringing. Being a Jew, being also a Roman, uh, people knew him. He was well known in, the, in his circle before and, and after he became a Christian, he was well known. And it was mixed feelings there. But even as a Jew, a law-keeping Jew, being a Pharisee, he was probably the, the next famous uh, rabbi. He would have been the next famous rabbi. There was a famous rabbi named Gamaliel. He was schooled at the feet of. Gamaliel is not a Christian. He was a, he was a very self-righteous Jewish man. Knew the law inside and out. And, um, but people resorted to what Gamaliel would say and think. And Paul was schooled with Gamaliel, and he was probably his protege. And so Paul knew people. Paul knew Gamaliel. and He, he got to know uh, some kings and governors as a Christian later on, not always under the best circumstances as far as... Uh, Maybe a, a person would think, but uh, Paul here says that he's craving, he has this aggressive, passionate desire to know Christ, and he's speaking of it beyond just him being his Savior. Who do you want to know? Who do you, who, you don't have to answer me back, but think, who, who is it that, oh, I'd really like to meet this person. I'd really like to know such and such person, an athlete, uh, maybe an actor or whatever, or some politician or some famous person in history that you'd like to go back and meet. I'd like to meet a guy, a Baptist pastor named John Gano, uh, or John Gano, is that they say. Uh, he was a Baptist pastor, ended up becoming, the, I think, the first Baptist pastor, or a, a Baptist pastor of the First Baptist Church of New York City, like in the 1700s. And um, he was uh, one of George Washington's, he was a chaplain that was under one of George Washington's other men, he also, I think, had a, had a prayer at like one of the, a final gathering at the end of the, 
Revolutionary War, George Washington asked him to have a prayer. George Washington, our first president, seemed to have an, a, um, a fondness of Baptist chaplains uh, in his army, if you dig into the history. Um, but John Gano was a Baptist pastor, as I mentioned. And I don't know if this is true. This is why I'd like to know him. There's a, an account that his descendants, his grand, grandchildren, say, and they even signed and did an affidavit to this in the 1800s, late, I think it was early 1800s, that they say their grandpa uh, baptized uh, George Washington uh, in the middle of the Revolutionary War. At, in, I think it was in, in, in uh, Valley Forge. And I don't know if that's true. Our, our president, our first president, Washington, I believe, was a Christian. He was like a lot of those people in that time. Uh, Anglican church, they're sprinkled as babies, which is a false baptism. Doesn't mean he's not become a Christian later. I believe he genuinely was. But he's, it was stated, their, their kids said, our dad told us that he requested to be baptized by immersion. I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to know that guy. <laughs> or like, no, can I go back in time? Here? Did you really baptize George Washington? You know, and, uh, I, you know. It would be neat to know, but what's the difference, right? You know, if he, if he was or he wasn't. What matters is that he really was saved. Uh, the, I wouldn't mind, um, I would like to know David in the Bible more. I mean, I get to know him a lot. There's a lot said about David. And I thought, what a guy. Man, the youngest of what, eight boys or something? You know, the runt. And uh, yet he becomes the, he wasn't trying to, but he becomes the leader of the nation and the leader of his family. I mean, on one hand, he could go, you know, the first part of the day, he could go kill a bunch of people for the Lord, be all bloody, come home, clean up, grab his harp, start singing for the Lord. I mean, this guy was doing all kinds of stuff. You know, he was a warrior, he was a poet, he was a prophet, he was a musician, he was a king. He got in trouble sometimes. I don't like that part. But I'd like to be able to have met David, to know him. Uh, there's some people in history I'd like to know. People currently I wouldn't mind getting to know. But look at this passion of Paul, that I may know him. He has an aggressive desire to know Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, knowing Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay, that's good, Pastor. But you know some people, how when it comes to knowing Jesus, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I've read some, you know, I kind of know about him. I know Jesus. That's good. Maybe somebody's even gone further and studied theology uh, and they knew. I, I, I had one of my theological professors in college. He was probably the most educated, earthly, intelligent persons I've ever met in my life. Thoroughly schooled. And he taught me theology, taught me correct theology. But he ended up dying as an atheist. He denied the faith later in his life and died as an atheist. Not all my teachers were like that, by the way, just this one. I didn't see this coming. But he thoroughly knew Jesus Christ and he knew the theology. He gave us definitions and he read all tons. I could name off theologians. In fact, they quoted him in a few books as a contemporary up and coming theologian. And, um, and he knew all that stuff and he knew what other people believed. But he really didn't really know Christ as his personal Savior. Some people, when it comes to knowing Jesus, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. It's just that it's kind of vague. Some people, they don't know him at all. They don't care to know him. 
Some of us as Christians, we know Him as Savior. And that's about it. Paul, look at this. He says that I may know him. So what I want to do is just, let's see, what is he saying here? There's five points here that I want to encourage us with to get us to, to have the same spirit, to want to desire to know Jesus Christ more. And it will be, it's, and it's beyond academics. You do read the Bible, your Bible, and our, we would all do better if we read our Bible more, probably. And we would know more from that standpoint. We'd have some clearer thoughts and more correct thoughts. And that's what we need to do. But he's going beyond that. He's going beyond that. I wouldn't re- he doesn't say that I may read a few more scriptures about him more. He's going beyond that. That's already, that's already assumed. It's, it, it's going beyond that. So let's think about this. I'm going to give us five points to encourage us to know Jesus more meaningfully. I love this passage right here. Number one, the first point is this. There first, we can't take this for granted. First, there must be a saving knowledge. Nobody's really going to know Jesus like they ought until there's a saving knowledge. He talks about that. Look at, look at a couple verses here. Um, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, he had things that he depended on, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but with the, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God, uh, which is the, pardon me, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I used to trust in all these things. My self-righteous resume of brought up this way and being a very moral person and being a law-keeping person and being of the right descendants. And I trusted in that. And I thought those things were gave me merit with God, gave me clout with God. And then he realized that none of that gives him righteousness with God that matters. He says, I, I count all those things but loss so that I could know what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ to save my soul. Did you know, like some of you, the language he uses here, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about knowing Christ, and the first issue is to know Him as Savior. Saving knowledge. Some of us don't have the saving. What are those things called of uh, those uh, that, that jump start you again, the jumper cables on your chest? The defibrillators. I know about those, but I don't know them. <laughs> I don't know them indeed. I see them on the, I get things in the mail and stuff called, you know, you know, putting a defibrillator here somewhere for somebody and I'm open to that. I know about them. I don't know if I want to know about them indeed, you know. <laughs> I know jumper cables for cars, okay? That's what I know. And I know I've done that. I haven't done it on myself, but do you see the difference between that? I, I, I don't know the saving um, experience of a defibrillator. You know, um, how about this? Let's just say I have a really junky car and you have a really nice car. Let's say you have a, I don't know, what's a nice car? I saw a Jaguar the other day. I'm like, that's a good looking car right there. My boys were like, whatever, dad. Get this. And they, 
Johnny, one of them's excited. Was it the DeLorean you said you're excited about, John? Coming out with, yeah, the DeLorean, you know. So, uh, let's say some, let's just, let's pick, let's say, uh, uh, who should I pick on here? How about Johnny? You got a Jaguar, okay? Johnny has a Jaguar, and he's driving it. Of course, he's out of the house now. He's independent. I don't have the payment on that. He does. Actually, it's paid for. Johnny has a Jaguar. I have the old... Let's say I have a Geo Metro, three-cylinder car that should have never been produced. But it has good gas mileage for the first five years, and then you lose part. Then you get parts that break that you'll never find anywhere. Anyways, um, I'm driving my Geo Metro, and I'm fine. I know about Johnny's Jaguar. Johnny says, Dad, you can always ride to work with me. It's okay, Dad. I'll take you. I'm like, no, Johnny, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. See, I know what he's got, and I know it's nice, and I know it works. It's good. It's good. Johnny and I, we both have to work in the West Valley uh, Monday through Friday. We have to go from here to Buckeye, and uh, we do some work out there in Amazon Warehouse or something. I don't know. Johnny drives his. I drive my Geo Metro. I think I'm good. It's wearing down. It's just kind of eh. But he drives his Jag. And he says, Dad, you can just ride with me. It's My car's good. It's safe. It's nice. It, it'll get you there safely. And like, I know it will, John. I know that. But I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. So I have knowledge of Johnny's Jaguar. I know it's, I'm convinced it's great. It's cool. But my Geo Metro breaks down. And there's some kind of crazy control sensor that nobody can find anywhere. And I've called all these junkyards and they still don't have them. And I can't drive my Geo Metro anymore. Man. And it breaks down. And, you know, finally, I just count it loss. And I was like, you know what? It's loss. It's just, Johnny, I want to ride to work with you. All right, Dad opens the door, and now I ride in Johnny's Jaguar to the West Valley. And you know what I have? Now I have like a saving knowledge. Of, Man, it does work. It is nice. I like the smell of the leather. What kind of job you got, boy? You know, <laughs> you know, I get, I'm just, it's a very silly illustration. I want you to see a difference there between knowledge and then, okay, saving knowledge. All right, now I experience this nice car. And I'm depending on this car, and I'm trusting it. Indeed, I couldn't trust it any more than I am now. I have nothing else I'm doing. I'm not putting my foot on the outside, contributing to the moment. No, I'm totally trusting this nice car. I truly know this Jaguar and its ability to transport me. And it's taken me from point A to point B. That's saving knowledge. Some people have knowledge of Jesus. They've read all the theology and they're convinced of the maybe his deity and all kinds of stuff. But they're still somehow over here holding on to something that amounts to dung. Well, I'm still a good person. Well, I still have merit with God. I'm an intellect. Well, I'm still, you know, I've born this, I was brought up such and such way. Or, and they have all these things, they have their righteousness resume with them like Paul did. But they'll never know the saving transportation of Jesus Christ till they count that all dung and let it go overboard. Flush it down the toilet like sewage. Paul says, I count mine as sewage so that I can know Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but having the righteousness, which is of God by faith. God counts you righteous for putting all your trust in him. He counts you righteous for putting all your trust in him. That's it. So first thing, a person needs to have saving. You know, the, I, this thing in the news, kind of as a side note, I, I, a little, the, it was like a, a Catholic bishop that resigned. Did you hear about this? I think he's a bishop. He resigned recently. And, you know, and, and they were very 
concerned on how they do their ceremonies and what they say. And Well, he resigned. I'm like, why did he resign? He, all these incorrect baptisms. And my first thought, I saw that headline in the, in the news. I thought, incorrect baptism. The guy resigned because he did incorrect baptisms. Maybe he realized he was baptizing unbelievers and he was sprinkling them. So he realized it was incorrect. But no, that wasn't the case. They said, oh, no, he said uh, when he did his baptisms, which is not a baptism, it's a sprinkling. When he did his baptisms, he realized that he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And by the way, saying that last part is not incorrect. That's correct. That's a good thing to say. But he, they said, well, he did it wrong because he said, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. And they said, Jesus is accompanying this baptism and there's some mystical thing there. And I thought, that's what they're... I thought that, you know what, it doesn't matter either way. It doesn't matter if he said we or I. The fact is, most of the time he was dealing with somebody perhaps who didn't even have a saving knowledge. Maybe some did, maybe probably a lot did not, especially it was a baby. If you don't have any saving knowledge, it doesn't matter if he says every perfect theological word over you. It's still lost. You're still lost. And if you don't plunge underwater, that's not a true baptism as far as a symbolic thing of Jesus, what he did for us. The point is, is that nobody, we can't know, go on to know Jesus. I want to know Christ until we know him as our Savior. Once I know him as my Savior, now I can, now I can know him further as a person, as my, as my friend. So let's just go to this next point. So first of all, there needs to be saving knowledge. And now, so Paul is talking about that. Verse, I want you to see there's a difference here. Verses, uh, uh, seven to nine is the saving knowledge. And then verse 10, he kind of goes, turns the corner. He says that I may know him. And, and then he talks about other aspects of knowing him. But I want you to notice secondly, again, of one second of five points is this. To know Christ more uh, meaningfully, secondly, it must be a personal desire. Personal desire to know him. That I... Paul said, may know him. He didn't say, boy, I wish my pastor knew him a little more. Oh, I'm glad my parents know him. I'm glad my grandparents know him. He says that I may know him. It needs to be a personal desire. Um, sometimes I've had, you know, I've met people, certain people, and maybe I've had maybe a well-known pastor, or a few times I've got to meet a politician the last three or four mayors I got to meet personally more than once. It was nice to get to know them. And maybe I've had my kids with me. And sometimes, not all my kids, but there have been a few times my kids would be like, like, hey, this is, this is uh, the mayor. This is mayor so-and-so. And they'd just be like, oh, okay, you know. Like, yeah, all right, whatever. When are we going to lunch, Dad? You know, it's like, <laughs> they weren't that, it wasn't there. And I'd be like, come on, don't you want to know them? Come on, don't you want to hear at a preacher's meeting? Come on, don't you want to know so-and-so, this is Dr. So-and-so, you know, Pastor So-and-so. And they're just like, eh, do they have snacks? You know, <laughs> that's what they want to know. Where's the snacks at the fellowship meeting? You know, and, um, you know, and, and it's okay. It's okay. I understand that with the kids. I, I may have been the same way in some instances. But the point is, is like, I can't make you know somebody unless you want to know them. And Paul's like, you know what? I want to know Jesus. And it's to an aggressive extent we're going to see here. I want to know him. I love, I've told you about this uh, before, but I love the whole account of Elijah, Elisha. Elijah was the great prophet of God. And then Elisha was his protege. 
God told Elijah, hey, you're going to go up. You're going to go up to heaven with me. You're going to go anoint Elisha. He's going to be, go ahead and pick him out, ordain him as the next guy to follow in your footsteps as a prophet here in Israel. And so Elisha followed Elijah. And uh, he was kind of like the master, the disciple, so to speak, you know, the teacher disciple scenario. And, um, and so kind of the last days of his life, they went and traveled to and fro different places. And, and Elisha knew Elijah was going to die. And, um, and they went over to, I think it was Jordan or one of the rivers. And uh, uh, Elijah uh, smote the river. The river came apart or split over. And they walked over this one river. And then finally, so it's Elijah and Elisha are there across this river. Wow, just splits right there. Yep, for the prophet, splits there. And so he, he waits and there's a chariot of fire. And, and Elisha, or Elijah goes up in the chariot of fire. And, um, and Elisha beforehand says, I want a double blessing. I want a double blessing. I want the double blessing of God of what you had. I want it on my life. He's like, well, just you need to watch me when I leave and a couple of the things. And, and so he took off and he flew to heaven in this chariot of fire. It's amazing. Or in a whirlwind, it says. There was a chariot of fire there. And he's like, oh, my father, my father, and the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And Elijah or Elisha was just like, wow, amazing. And his mantle fell down. He grabbed his mantle. And when he went to go back, now, his guy's gone. His buddy's gone. His teacher's gone. And when he went to go back, he had his mantle. And now it's his turn to live this life of being the prophet and of following God and being connected to God so that he could tell people stuff. You can't be going around telling people stuff about God when you haven't even heard from God. And so he's like, all right, I got to be in tune with the Lord even more. And I want to have this double blessing of, of power and of perhaps some miracles and, and of words of prophecy. So he has Elijah's uh, mantle and he goes back over to that river. He said, well, I got to cross this river now. And so he takes his mantle and I love it with this. I think there was this passion and he smote the waters and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the, prop, and the water split. And he walked over. And what he was saying is, I want to know him. I want to know him for me. And by the way, as a side note, the record I find recorded of Elijah, eight miracles. I find recorded of Elisha, 16. The 16th happened when he was in a grave. You have to look at that one. But he's like, I want to know God, the Lord God of Elijah. I wish there was some kids here and some teenagers here would say, where is the God of my parents for me? I want to know God for me. I want to know God to answer my prayers. I want to know God in my temptations. I want to know God and trust God for my problems. I see my parents do it. I see my pastor do it. I want to know him for me. You kids, you teens, and even us maybe younger need to have that. It's like, I want to know. It's not enough that your parent or some other person you love knows him. Paul says this, that I may know him. So it's got to be a personal desire. And all right, let's go to the next thing. Number three, it must be the person that you are desiring. He says again, that I may know him. I want to know the person, Paul says. That person, Christ Jesus, whom I first met, I heard about, but I first met on the road to Damascus that's knocked me off my horse. And I said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Lord, would you, what will you have me to do? And so he was saved in that moment. He says, I want to know him. That person, he didn't say that I may know the Christology. 
It's good to know Christology. That means the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of the Christ. It's good to know that. I, it's good. But he's saying, I want to narrow it down to that person, that personal connection. He didn't say that I may know Christology. He didn't say that I may know myself. You know, I just, if I, I know, Pastor, you've been inviting people to church, and I'm glad you're inviting me to church today, but I just need to get myself figured out. I need to figure myself out. Then I'll think about coming to church. Well, then I'll start. People get like, I want to figure myself out. That's not, that's not what you do. It's kind of like telling a doctor you're going to figure out your problems before you go see them. You know, man, I can't figure out myself. The way of man is forward and strange. My heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know, nobody can know themselves really well except God. Thou, God, seest me. God has searched us and tried us and knows our uprising and our downsetting and our thoughts are far off. He knows how we are made. He sees how we are weaved in the, in the womb and fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows me. I want to know Him because I can't figure out myself. Some people, they want to know themselves. They want to know uh, maybe only theology. I may know the theology, that I may know church, that I may know morals. Paul says, know this greatest person. I want to know this greatest person. This, we think about this. Oh, Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the earth. I mean, we have so many different types of feet to walk the earth. You know, conquerors and philosophers and presidents and all sorts of people and preachers and in all sorts and inventors. Jesus had the greatest feet. He was the greatest person to walk the dust of the earth. Isn't that amazing? And we can know him. I, you've heard this. I'm going to read this to you. They call it the, it's called One Solitary Life. And I actually got the original quote from it, which came out of a book. And it's a little different than maybe the poem. This man, James Allen Francis, wrote this in a book. He says, a child is born in an obscure village. He's brought up in another obscure village. He works in a carpenter shop until he's 30. And then for three brief years is an itinerant preacher proclaiming a message and living a life. He never writes a book. He never holds an office. He never raises an army. He never has a family of his own. He never owns a home. He never goes to college. He never travels 200 miles from the place where he was born. He gathers a little group of friends about him and teaches them his way of life. While still a young man, the tide of popular feeling turns against him. One denies him. Another betrays him. He is turned over to his enemies. He goes through mock the mockery of a trial. He is nailed to a cross between two thieves. and When dead, he is laid in a borrowed grave by the kindness of a friend. Those are the facts of his human life. But then he rises from the dead. Today we look back, look back across 1900 years, a man wrote this 100 years ago, and ask what kind of trail has he left across the centuries? When we try to sum up his influence, all the armies, that ever marched and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned are absolutely trivial in their influence on mankind compared with that of this one solitary life. Amazing. Way to look at Jesus Christ. Yep. He was something. Greatest man. He was a God man. He's a savior of man. I want to know him. The greatest person. This is that person. So Paul says it's him. I want to know him. And then number four. Let's move along here. Two more points, and this is where we're getting a little more of these phrases here. Look what it says in verse 10. Paul's expecting, expressing aggressive, passionate desire to know Jesus. It says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Now, 
now Paul and I and you and I as Christians, we're gonna feel, we're gonna our bodies are gonna get resurrected. We'll have that literal power of the resurrection. But I think he's talking about the the power. I, I believe what he's talking about is spiritual power now in my life. Bible talks about the fact that I was dead, and like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so I now I'm raised, and I should walk in newness of life. I should have a new power. I should have a new life and I should have a new source in trust in him. I think it's talking about a life that's dependent on him for quickening me, to quicken me in my deadness. He so Paul's saying knowledge of Christ should include to know him, the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it's I want to know what it is to be made strong in weakness. Paul knew that. 2 Corinthians, I think it's 10, talked about that. Uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That is the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead. which He was quickened by the Spirit of God. I want to know that power to, to quicken my deadness. I want to know his spiritual power. I want to know that. That's what it should include. You say, I want to know Jesus more. Okay, then we want to know his resurrection power. Number five, the last point, which is, I think, a little more thorough here. Look what it says. And the power of his resurrection. Look what it says in verse 10. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You know, some of us were like this. Here's what we do. <laughs> like you meet, you meet somebody, and, and this is good. This is not a bad thing. We, we eat together, right? We eat together. And then if we want to know each other a little bit more, no, no, I mean, we talk together, but if we want to know each other a little bit more, we eat together. Yeah, I'm going to get to know you a little more. I'm going to see if you chew with your mouth open. You know, <laughs> you know. No, we, it gives you time to just kind of like, okay, uh, this is nice eating. And, and it's good. It's not bad. The early church did that. I'm not saying it's bad. So in order for us to get to know each other more, we tend to let's resort to eating. You can get to know another person more in other ways, too. Well, Paul's saying, yeah, I, I like this. I like a fellowship with Jesus. I want to know the fellowship of him, the fellowship of his sufferings. Huh. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I, I'm learning. I want to learn to be more acquainted with him um, uh, not, uh, through suffering, not through uh, softness. I, I, want to, I want to become, I want to know him, even the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to get to know him more. Through a, through, his, through a cross, through not just a casserole, through a, through a difficulty and not just some, you know, a dish. I want to know him. I'm going to have a fellowship with him in a suffering scenario. He gets to know him more. You know, sometimes suffering is a, it's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to experience. But if, you, if you're honest with it, if we respond in trust to God through times of suffering, and if we yield to God, we stay uh, you know, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. If we keep our minds and hearts stayed on the Lord, even in the worst of times of suffering, you get to experience a new closeness to Jesus. Sometimes suffering helps us know him more. Um. Here's F.B. Meyer was a good, I believe he was an English preacher. Listen to what he said. To know Christ in the storm of battle, to know him in the valley of shadow, to know him when the solar light 
irradiates our face, or when they are darkened with disappointment and sorrow, to know the sweetness of his dealing with bruised reeds and smoking flax, to know the tenderness of the sympathy, of his sympathy and strength of his right hand. All this involves many varieties of experience on our part. But each of them, like the facets of a diamond, will reflect the prismic beauty of his glory from a new angle. In other words, there's a bunch of different angles to know Jesus. We don't just know Jesus in a perfectly timed and coordinated moment. It's all the time, even in times of suffering. There's a kid, he was a preacher's son, I knew. Excuse me. <coughs> and uh, he, he, um, he's a good family. There's, there's nothing wrong with this family. And um, he just was having a hard time, this kid, and late teenagers. And he basically left the home, took off, and uh, not with under the best circumstances. But the parents said, hey, if you can't, you can't abide under these rules. And they were not hard rules. It was reasonable. So if you can't abide under these rules, you can't stay. And he was causing a little fuss. And so he left. All right, I'm leaving. Well, again, I think maybe 18 or so, 19, 20, I don't know. And I want to back up and say, you know what? Every parent wants their kid to grow up and be a man and act manly and be on their own, okay? But if you're going to stay in a home and, and not respect the, 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 the wishes and rules of the, the house, then you don't need to be there. Well, he left, preacher's kid, and, um, and then he said, he, his dad told me, I talked to his dad, he said he, all he took with, he didn't take very much with him, uh, but there was a few books he took with him. And one of them was like, I think he may have taken his Bible, which is good. I think one of them was like the works of uh, Oswald Sanders, Oswald Chambers, who was an author, preacher. He wrote some very... Um, substantive writings. And a lot of people like to quote him, Oswald uh, Chambers. But he took off, did his thing. He was trying to, whatever, I don't know. It wasn't easy. Found himself on a bench a couple times homeless in a park, sleeping there. And um, his dad told me some of this. He said, you know, he didn't take much, but those books that he took, he didn't have much to read started reading some of Oswald Chambers' stuff. And he said, on a, being homeless on a park bench, he said, God used that to wake him up. The guy had something to say. One of the things the guy said was this. I don't know if he read this, but Oswald, Oswald Chambers said, if it was God's will to bruise his son, why wouldn't his, be will, his will to bruise you? Maybe to wake you up is the idea. He said that, he said, my son was out on his own. He said he ended up, part of him coming to his senses. And it's not that he had to come back home. But part of him waking up, coming to his senses and growing in the Lord was, was suffering. There's some things, listen, there's some things you and I can't know about God or Jesus Christ unless we And this kid, God used that to help wake him up and know him a little more. Dear Christian, so you know what? We like to have fellowships, and I hope to have one another time soon. All right, we're going to have preaching and teaching, and we're going to eat and chat with one another. I like that. I like to go to preacher's fellowships. Anybody ever been to a pastor's fellowship, a preacher's fellowship? Raise your hand. 
Okay, Kevin's preacher's kid went to lots of them in, in the South. And he says they're different in the South, too. And he said he wanted to take me there. It's like doing a, of something, you know. Uh, he's like, preacher, you need to go to these preachers meeting in the South. So Johnny has been to some. My kids growing up, they would like to, I didn't, I'm, I wish I could go to more. I haven't been to a lot. But my kids are like, dad, can we go? Because they, they know almost all the time there's snacks, there's food, you know. They just were like, all right, sit through this message here. I see this food back there. Dad, is he done? Is he done? Is he done? Is he done? You know, yeah, all right, now go eat. <laughs> all right. So they kind of like that part. But I do honestly like preachers' fellowships. I like those. You know, it's nice to, to mingle with guys and, and everything. And, and it's always under the best circumstances. Nice building, nice food, good friends. It's always, and that's good. But think about this. With Jesus, he says, I'll fellowship with you in your suffering. Fellowship means to, it means to have like a communion, a connection, an interchange, a um, relationship, um, a closeness, you know, where there's mingling together, in a, an affiliating, a friendingness together. That's what fellowship means. Jesus says, I, I'll fellowship with you in your sufferings. You get to know me more. So that, that, so that I can say to myself, when I'm in agony, I'm not alone. When I'm betrayed, I'm not alone. When I'm um, enduring hunger, I'm not alone. He's felt that. When I'm falsely accused, I'm not alone. He's felt that. When my friends fizzle away, I'm not alone. He had that happen. If I've been abused, I'm not alone. He's felt that. He can fellowship with that. Even when I'm left all alone, I'm not alone. He's in that fellowship meeting, and I can know him more. I guess what I'm saying is like sometimes I can, I know, I've, even my own life, with the small amounts that I've had, I'm like, it's been good. I got to know Jesus more. Been more, I got to be closer with him. So that I'm telling us today when Paul says that I may know him, and he means by all means. See, some of us are like, well, when I die, go to heaven, I'll know Jesus. I'll see him all glorified and I'll fall down and all. That's good. But we can know him in a unique way right now that you might not in that sense that there. Paul says, I want that. I want to know him. And I'm, ap I'm going toward that and I'm striving toward that. So who do you want to know? Who do you want to know? Um, who do you work on knowing? The best person, obviously, that we can strive and work and hope and pray to know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what, let's, I hope that's your desire. Is that your desire today? That's what I'll encourage us with.